you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Great uh, to see you all gathered here today. Tons of stuff that's encouraging. One thing I want to share with you, though, is it's a year now. um, You heard uh, Pete Stevens share about the work in Whittington. It's a year now uh, when we were dreaming and praying about that, um, thinking about what we could do in a hard place. And I remember right from here sharing with you the fact that we would love to do something in Whittington, that there were doors that were opening, and that we had uh, Pete who wanted to do it, but we didn't have the finances to be able to do it. And... Within two to three weeks, you, our church, gave generously from your resources so we could actually begin to do that work that very month. And uh, 12 months down the track, Pete's being uh, kind of humble because uh, I think he's the only church that's had at least 100% growth. <laughs> in the, yeah, it's probably a lot more than that during the pandemic. Imagine we had 100% growth here in Geelong. So things are really happening. Pete's um, very humbly leading that team. It is exciting. That goal that um, you shared with us, Pete and Brennan, is a big one. But I just want to reflect for a moment and thank you, those of you here a year ago, who you responded to that. I didn't do a, a big, you know, sob sell and say, you know, and try to make you guilty. I just shared the vision with you and you responded and we were able to act and continue to do what now we are planning a new church. So thank you. Thank you. But I want to begin uh, this morning by asking a question, and this question is is slightly limited. If you work at City on a Hill, this is a rhetorical question for you. Please, no hands, no answers. Have you ever, more broadly, ever had a really bad boss? Right? (laughs) Anyone had a bad boss? Yes, I can see one or two hands. The rest of you have been very blessed. By bad boss, I don't just mean an incompetent boss. 
Uh, I don't just mean a micromanaging boss. I don't mean a lazy boss. I mean a bad boss in the terms of a bullying boss, uh, a boss who is harassing, who is even abusive in the word workplace. Have you had a boss like that? I hope you haven't. I've had only one in 30 years in the workforce. Uh, he was a colonel in the SAS, the Special Air Service Regiment, and um, he was a bad boss. Uh, within um, the headquarters or within the, within the other soldiers, he was variously known as uh, Palpatine, Sauron, uh, the Dark Lord, um, or mostly he was referred to simply as Satan by everybody. Now, everybody lived in fear of Satan, uh, but he had a special focus on me. And some people would say, like, what did you do to make him so angry at you? And I was like, I don't know. But he made my life miserable. I couldn't get away from him in the context I was in. I was overseas on deployment. I couldn't get away. I tried to get posted to other locations and other units, uh, transferred, but everything was refused. And I was stuck here with this boss. And it was so bad um, and if you've worked in, in, a, in, a, in a really toxic environment like that, you, you maybe understand how bad it can be. But I remember one occasion, I was sitting after a particularly bad day working with this boss, and I took the magazine off my rifle, and I flicked out a 5.56 uh, bullet, uh, and I, I looked at the bullet, and I went like, oh boy, you know, I think maybe the only way out of this is to accidentally have an accident right now, then I'll go home. And it's no jokes, and that it was that bad. And if you've worked, maybe not in an environment as difficult as that, but if you've had a bad boss, you know how all-encompassing it can be on your life and how miserable it can be. Well, <laughs> we heard Peter speaking, and he's speaking to servants, to employees, some of whom had really bad bosses. And he's talking to them about how they are to relate to those bosses as Christians. Now, now before we dive into the details we're going to do in a moment, context is important because our situation in the workforce today is not identical to what they had 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire. Um, when Peter writes to these servants, uh, the word that he uses is, is, a, is a designation of slave that was like a bond servant. Uh, it's important for us when we hear those things not to think about slavery in the North American context more recently. Slavery um, in the Roman Empire was different. It wasn't racially based, for instance. And um, slaves were usually, were often professionals. So if you were a doctor, if you're a doctor or a lawyer, you're a teacher, you're a musician, you would have probably been a slave. Uh, in, in the Roman Empire. Slaves um, could actually earn an income. If they got enough income, they could actually buy themselves out of slavery. Um, slaves sometimes actually owned other slaves. So it, it's, it's, it's a weird kind of system to us, but let's not sugarcoat it. Slavery as it existed in the Roman Empire was a system that was liable to the most terrible exploitation of those who worked under it. Sexually, emotionally, physically, financially. It was a brutal system. Now, <laughs> Peter is writing to those slaves or those servants, and we're going to use a similar format to we looked last week, if you hear. We're going to ask, what does he actually say to these servants? Why does he say it? 
And then thirdly, we're going to look at what is the model that he gives us for working in the workforce, especially with unjust bosses. And what he says today is radical. It's so radical. So I'm going to pray quickly that ask that um, you would pray for me and for us that as we come before God, when we want to encounter God in his word, we're going to encounter the real God by spirit that God would speak to each of our hearts. Can we do that? Let's do that. Father, we come to your word. We bow beneath it. We don't stand in judgment and proclaim our words and then expect them to, for you to come under our authority. We are under your authority. You are the creator of the world. You are real. You're personal. You love us as we heard. You are working in your world and you give us your word. And Lord, this morning as we hear it, help us to hear it and to not bring our own preconceived ideas, but to come and submit ourselves to you because we know that your word is good. And it makes us grow and thrive and flourish. And so, Lord, we come and we ask that you do that in these next minutes together. In Jesus' name. Amen. So firstly, what does Peter command? Verse 18, it's simple. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Be subject to, we heard last week, it means be under the authority of, take commands from, be submissive to. Peter says, be submissive to your bosses. Not only to the really good ones, that'd be kind of easy because they would earn your respect and win your love, but to the unjust ones also. Um, I don't know, if, has anyone here seen the movie The Help? Anyone seen that? A couple of you have. Um, I saw it on a plane. And um, if you haven't seen that movie, it's, it's set in the American South in the immediate um, sort of civil rights movement era. And uh, there's uh, one um, servant named Minnie, and she's got a boss called Hilly. And uh, Hilly is not a nice boss to Minnie. She's, she's very degrading in the way she treats her. And, uh, and one case Minnie's had enough and she makes this chocolate cake and those of you who've seen the movie you know this and and Hilly's got a thing for chocolate cake and she's eating her chocolate cake all the way through then halfway through uh, Minnie reveals that the chocolate cake had a secret ingredient in it and I was on the plane and uh, the secret ingredient was revealed as spit and I was like oh that's pretty bad spit in the chocolate cake I later on saw that movie at home and went like Oh, they sanitized it for the plane. It wasn't spit. It was something that sounds like spit had gone into that chocolate cake. And, uh, and Minnie had got her revenge on Hilly in a very subversive way. Slaves uh, or servants in the Roman era, they had the option to be subversive to their masters. You know, to undermine things secretly, not enough maybe to get beaten, but enough to, to make things uncomfortable when they could get away with it. But they also had the option to do something much more. In 73 BC, there was a man called Spartacus. Um, apparently, he's made a bit of a, a revival in, in sort of the kids, well, young people's movies today. But Spartacus, um, 73 BC, he was a slave. And uh, Spartacus was a, a gladiatorial slave. So he knew how to use weapons. And at one point, Spartacus killed his master, rebelled um, against uh, the authority of Rome, and gathered an army of over 120,000 slaves with him. And he went on a rampage throughout the Roman Empire, fighting against the Roman army with its legions. And for a long time, he was winning. The whole Roman Empire was shaking 
at the rebellion of the slave Spartacus. And Spartacus fought fire with fire. He crucified hundreds and hundreds of Roman soldiers who were captured. In the end, his rebellion was put down. But both these examples um, of the help and Spartacus kind of appeal to me because I think, well, bad bosses, you know, they got it coming. Bosses like Satan, um, then if they're going to get what comes to them, well, they've deserved it. They're just bad bosses. So, you know, and I kind of gravitate to that, that sort of action of we're going to make it right and we're going to punish them ourselves. But Peter commands them, these servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. What? And, and, and how does that apply to us today? Um, is the context so very different that if you're a Christian employee today, you go, I don't need to worry about that anymore because that was then, this is now. I, I can sort of distance myself from it. No. So how are we to relate then as Christian employees in the workforce, especially when we're subject to unjust or bad bosses? Well, first question you might ask is, are you saying, Andrew, that we shouldn't use the mechanisms to protect us today. By that, I mean like things like um, sexual discrimination laws or anti-bullying laws in the workplace. Are you saying that as a Christian, we don't do those laws? So if you're not a Christian and you get sexually harassed, then you go through the, the right channels and it gets sorted. If you're a Christian, you just take the sexual harassment and get on with your work. Is, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, the, the workplace laws that have, have been created in, in our country... Uh, designed to protect workers, are good laws. Uh, Historically, Christians have been at the very forefront of introducing them, uh, wanting to protect those who are most vulnerable economically in society and and limiting the power of bosses to be able to, to exploit them and harass them and abuse them. Those are good laws. And as Christians in the workforce, I think that, that this text is not saying that never should we take the avenues that the government has given us to use to create and hopefully sustain a safe and um, healthy place to work. I don't think that is telling us to do that. But once again, it's a matter of the heart, isn't it? What is our heart towards our employers? If we're a servant, what, what is our heart towards our master? Is it, sometimes it seems to me that in our context of the Western individualistic democracy that we live in, with all its goodness, there can actually be a default response that says, I know my rights. You know my rights, because I'm going to tell you my rights, and if you breach my rights, and if you go against my rights, then watch out, because I'm going to stand up, and I don't care that you're my boss, you are going to do what I tell you to do, because I'm an employer, but, employee, but i got rights. And there can be an attitude that is very different to what Peter is calling employees, Christian servants, to have. Now, we have to remember here that, that submission that is Paul, Peter is talking about, it's not servile, Right? It's often viewed in society that if the Bible says submit, that means that you, you just sort of cower and you, you know, you're just weak and, and, and you're just pathetic because you're getting bullied and allowing yourself to be bullied when you could stand up and, and, and you know, take your own, your own rights in your own hands. That's not what the Bible's talking about. The, the submission that Peter is talking about is modeled on the submission of Jesus. And, and it's a submission that actually says, as we heard with the kids, I'm an elect alien. 
This is not my home. I am called by God. I've been blessed by God. I've been chosen by God. I've been loved by God. And God calls me out of strength to submit to the human authorities in the world in which I live, knowing that my real home I'm heading towards and knowing that my life here on earth is not all that, it, all that there is. So I submit to authorities for the sake of Christ. If you're a Christian employee, you submit and you respect your employer for the sake of Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul puts it like this in, an, in the letter to the Ephesians. That the, the Bible is unanimous, by the way, about Christian servants submitting to masters. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants, that's the same word, servants, slaves, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. Hear that? Bondservants of Christ, slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with the goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or is free. You know what she's saying? We're servants of Christ. And because of that wonderful identity we have, then we are able to be good servants of masters, even masters that are bad masters. Now, you're going to say to me, Andrew, does this mean that you are just complicit as a servant in injustice in the workforce, that you just, you just roll over. And I already said you, you can use the avenues, I think. But there, and there will be times when a master may, or a boss, an employer, may ask you to do something as a Christian employee that you're not able to do because it clashes with your higher calling. It clashes with your real master, who's Christ. And when that happens, you must always obey Christ, first and foremost. Even if you lose your job, whatever it might be, you must obey Christ first and foremost. But the reality is, is that those occasions are pretty rare. In, in 30 years I can, in the workforce, I can only think of once when I felt that I had to disobey my master in order to obey Christ. I didn't even have to do it when I was working for Satan. He was a bad boss, but he, he didn't make me go against the word of God. So that's what we're asked to do. It's hard, isn't it? Is it hard? I mean, if you find this easy, I, I really respect you because I don't. I wrestle with it. It's part of God's word that rubs. It says, servants, be subject to your masters. Now, that's what's commanded. Now, why? And the answer is, not all suffering is created equal. Right? Why? Because not all suffering is created equal. Listen to what Peter says, verse 20. Let's look at bad suffering. Bad suffering. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? So you're talking about the Christian servant who sins and gets a beating, literally in that context, for sinning. And Peter's saying, well, no credit in that, is there? Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that happen. Maybe you have been the one who has it brought bad suffering on yourself. But when I was a chaplain at Kapuka, we had um, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of recruits. And on one occasion, um, after a chapel service on Sunday, uh, one of the recruits said, Padre, um, I want to speak to you about something. And, and I said, okay, let's have a chat. And he said, I am being persecuted for my faith. 
And I was like, oh man, that's not good. You're a Christian? He said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and they are persecuting me in my platoon. And I asked him to explain and, and I heard him went like, this sounds like this is really, really bad. You know, they're really going after this guy because he's a Christian and they're making life miserable for him. So uh, having been in that situation with a bad boss myself, I was like, right, you know, this is time to act. So uh, I showed up at the platoon. I spoke to the platoon commander and the platoon sergeant. I interviewed uh, some of the other soldiers in the platoon. But it quickly became apparent that it had nothing to do with religious persecution. This soldier was undoubtedly a Christian, but he was also lazy he didn't do what he was told. He was rebellious. He was jack in the army terms on his mates. He, he, didn't, he was selfishly thinking about himself and not them. None of them liked him and they punished him for his disobedience of various laws and, and or various commands that were given. And this guy was reflecting and all saying, it's because I'm a Christian. And after spending some time, there, it's not because you're a Christian that your Christian conduct is causing you to suffer. It's your human conduct that's causing you to suffer and, and in the end, I had to say to, to that recruit, this is nothing to do with your faith at all and everything to do with the way that you are acting as an employee. That's bad suffering. And Peter's point is, if you are a bad employee and you suffer the consequences in the workforce, don't walk around with a martyr complex or a persecution complex like that guy was doing because your suffering is actually meaningless. You brought it on yourself. You're just getting what you deserve. That's bad suffering. Not all suffering is created equal. Bad suffering occurs in the workplace, and it occurs sometimes to us Christians as well. But that leads us to the other part of it, good suffering, verse 20. But if, in contrast to the bad, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, that's a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's a gracious thing. Paul, uh, Peter's not saying that suffering in itself is, is good, but he's saying that doing good in the workplace and suffering for it is a gracious thing. Gracious is who God is. It's, in his sight, there is a, a blessedness in living like that, in, in, in being unjustly persecuted or treated unjustly and suffering for it is a gracious thing. It's a good thing. It comes with a, a spiritual blessing. Uh, Peter's, Peter's message, he says, you know, like, uh, be subject to your masters. Why? Because there's two kinds of suffering. Make sure that your suffering is good and not bad. All right, thirdly. What are we to do with masters? Be subject to them. Why? Because unjust suffering is a gracious thing. Now, thirdly, and most importantly, who is our model? Who is our model for unjust suffering in the workplace or actually anywhere else? Well, verse 21, I think, is one of the most radical verses in the whole Bible. It says this. For to this you've been called. What? You've been called to this, Peter says, you've been called. Like, but what about like to glory and blessing? And what about wealth? And what about enjoyment? And what about to this you've been called? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
See how radical that is? Peter speaking to these Christian slaves, some of whom would have had the most terrible, terrible masters. He says, you were called to this. And then he says, because your model is Christ. He set you an example. His point is, your suffering, and just as it may be in the workforce, is not an accident. This is not somehow circumstantial to who you are as a Christian. It's not on the edges of your Christian life. It's actually at the center. This is what God's called you to. He's called you to suffer and sometimes suffer unjustly. Can you see how radical that is? How it flies in the face of our own human independence and it especially flies in the face of our culture. To this you are called. This is who you are as a Christian. The the model, Peter says, is Jesus. He says he's left you an example. The word that when he says example is a really interesting one. It's great to have the kids in with us today. Um, I don't know if they still do this in school. They did when I was a kid. But when you're you're learning to trace your letters, you're learning to do the alphabet, remember that? Um, You would sometimes use that old tracing paper and you'd go over the letters to try and learn how they went. This this term example is a schoolroom term. It comes from early childhood development in the Roman Empire where, where kids would trace the letters of the Greek or Roman alphabet so they would learn how to write them. And Peter uses that word and he says, you're to trace your life following the way that Jesus encountered suffering. That's what you're called to. He left you an example that you would trace your own life on his. And how did Jesus suffer? Well, in 22 to 25, Peter makes it very clear how Jesus suffered. Listen to this. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. His point is, no bad suffering for Jesus. Perfectly innocent. You and I in the workplace, we're never perfectly innocent, right? Or very rarely. Jesus, no suffering, no deceit, no lies, perfectly innocent. Um, And yet, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued in trusting himself to him who judges justly. The model of Jesus is that. How do you do with that? A few years ago now, um, Dana and I went to a protest through the CBD of Melbourne. And uh, we were marching to, in in our view and our, our words, to stand up for those who had no voice of their own. We were marching for the unborn. We were marching against uh, the laws that had been introduced in Victoria in 2008, I think it was, um, to make abortion a dreadful, dreadful crime, I think, blight on the face of, of our state. And we thought, okay, we can't be quiet. And we were marching uh, through the streets of the CBD, and, and if you've ever marched in one of those um, protests, you know that there's usually counter-protesters, and uh, we were marching along, it was actually kind of fun, um, you know, in one way, it was just it was it was a lovely group of people, and we it was peaceful. We were just marching through the city, but the counter protesters weren't peaceful, and uh, they were they were shouting and things. But we're just trying. Okay, we'll just ignore that. Um, and at one stage, I was walking, Dan and I were walking quite close to an old man. I think he would have been, I would have suggested maybe in his eighties, 
And he was kind of shuffling along, but the pace was slow. And then out from the counter-protest group came two young men that would have been in their 20s. And they ran, they ran up to this old man, and they shoved and pushed him, and then I, I saw them deliberately take his prescription glasses off his face and smash them on the pavement. And the police were maybe three or four metres away, and they did nothing. And I was furious. I was furious at the injustice I'd just seen take place. This old man who was doing nothing, just quietly going along, assaulted by these young people, and the, the law did nothing. I was furious. And in my mind's eye, and I'm just telling you what I thought, I thought, look, if the police weren't there and I had a baseball bat right now, I would like to teach those guys a lesson in humility. Um, that, that was my response. Dana's response was much more gracious. She was remonstrating with the police <laughs> right in their face. And, and in the middle of this, and I'm, I'm thinking, this is so unjust. How can this happen? Like this poor man and these, these, these scum, they're just doing that to him and nothing, and they get away with it. And then I looked over at the old man himself. And I don't know if he was a Christian. I think he was. He did not shout back. He didn't yell insults. He didn't call to the police for justice and, and say, hey, you've got to arrest those guys. This is, my glass is worth 300 bucks or whatever. You know, he didn't do any of that. He just was quietly picking up his smashed glasses. And when he did that, he, he just continued shuffling along. I said, I don't know if he was a Christian, but I know which of the three of us in that moment displayed a Christ-like attitude. I've thought on that often since. He traced the example of Jesus Christ in that moment. I didn't. This is what we are called to. To be a people that are radically, radically different. How we suffer matters. And Peter goes on to say that how, how Jesus suffered mattered. Listen to this. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Peter is saying if Jesus had protested for justice, if Jesus had refused to embrace unjust suffering at the hands of authorities, we wouldn't have been saved. If he had protested his innocence and refused to submit, then we would never have been saved. And yet he went to the cross. And through his in, the in unjust suffering on him, his body smashed and broken, nails in his hands, crown of thorns on his head, because he submitted to that, you and I have, Peter says, freedom. You and I have true freedom. You and I have, uh, we deserve the justice of God, and because Jesus took the injustice of man, we have the, the freedom and the mercy and the forgiveness that comes from God. It's because of him. Because he traced out his life like that, you and I, as his people and his servants and his followers, are set free. His suffering was redemptive. And you and I, when we suffer in the same way, our suffering will not be redemptive like his was to the same degree. No one else can be, but our suffering, when it's done and it's good suffering, 
Not because we deserve it, but we suffer unjustly. We suffer under bosses who oppress us or, or our governments who oppress us. We suffer in that way. It is redemptive. It's radical. It flies in the face of what a normal person would do. And you know what? The, the people to whom Peter wrote listened. The church of Jesus Christ listened to the words of Peter and Paul and the apostles and the words of Jesus himself. They were treated unjustly, horrifically. Numbers vary, but some people say millions of Christians were killed during those three or 400 years of unjust persecution in the Roman Empire. Maybe millions, certainly hundreds of thousands were killed. And you know what, if you read those historical accounts, people, historians often ask, why did Christianity become the majority religion when it was persecuted so intensely? Why did it overthrow all the paganism that had lasted for hundreds of years before it? And there are various answers given, but one of the answers that is clearly given is because Christians suffered unjustly in such a way that the world could not help but look at them. If you read the accounts of many, many, many of those who were martyred, so they were beaten unjustly, they lost their jobs unjustly, they were put in prison unjustly, and eventually they were tortured and executed unjustly, very, very often what happened was those who were doing the torture, those who came to watch their execution for a bit of fun, became Christians on the spot. And there are many, many cases, hundreds, thousands of cases where, where people became Christians at the execution of Christians and then were executed themselves on the spot. It's redemptive. In these last years, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of injustice in a lot of ways. There's, there's, been, there's been things that make us really rankle and yet we're called to Trace our lives on Jesus Christ. And if we suffer unjustly, to suffer in a way that points to him and that's redemptive. I mentioned uh, Satan <laughs> and my experience with him. I wish I could say that I followed the example of Jesus with Satan. Uh, but I didn't always. There were many times when uh, I got back after you know, sometimes he made me cry quite a lot. Sometimes in tears I got back and 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 I just like, oh, this guy, you know, and I'd, I'd, you know, join with the other officers in backstabbing him. And there are other times when I actually was lazy and, and got what I deserved. I did bad work and, and got punished for it. And, but overall, I, I read these words in Peter. I remember reading them really clearly and saying, God, I think it's pretty clear what you want me to do. You want me to respect this boss. You want me to submit to him. And I tried I asked for God's help, and I really, really tried, especially when I couldn't escape and I was stuck. I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try and honor him. And, so, and I tried my best. Um, but all that happened it seemed, to just make, it seemed to just make him hate me more and make it more difficult. It didn't seem to have any impact. Well, about uh, three months, or about, actually about six months into my time under his authority, there was a few of us uh, Christians on the headquarters and, and the boss was not known as being pro-Christian, put it that way. And we thought like, well, I thought, let's run an alpha course on base with the special forces soldiers because um, it can't get any worse. 
and the boss already hates us, so we may as well do it, and, and maybe he'll probably ban it, but let's see what happens. So, so we put up the posters for the Alpha course around the base, and, and we did it a few weeks in advance. I put them up in the middle of the night, actually, because I was scared. Uh, but we, <laughs> we went, and, um, and the course got closer, and it was pretty, I was pretty excited, because I thought, wow, we get a chance, you know, and, and um, on the first night of the course, uh, we, we had it in a, in a burned-out um, concrete um, house that had been in East Timor's house, and, and uh, we were in there, and uh, we, we, we got the little videos set up, and it was, it was all, it was, all uh, it was really pretty crude, but, um, but it was full of soldiers, and uh, we were about to start the course when the door opened, and Satan himself entered the room. And he sat down on a chair, he put his rifle under the chair, and then he looked expectantly. And um, I had no idea what to do. Like, did we stop? Did we, you know, we call a rain check? And, um, or did we just keep going? So, so we kept going. And Satan came to nearly every one of, he stayed all that night, and he came to nearly every one of the next 11 weeks. He killed the whole course, really, because all the rest of the soldiers are like, I don't really feel comfortable sharing anything <laughs> like, with him sitting there. And, uh, but he stayed. And on the last week of the course, uh, as, we were, as we were just winding up, he said, can I, can I speak with you? I said, of course you can speak. <laughs> I'm not going to disobey an order, sir. Yes. Uh, but he, he came to me and he said, look, he said, I know you think I've, I've given you a really hard time. And maybe I have. He said, but I know you're a Christian, and I wanted to see what would happen when I put a Christian under pressure. That's why I've come to this course. I wish this story could end by saying that he received the love of Jesus Christ and became a believer in that moment. He didn't. As far as I know, he still hasn't, although he did become a much better boss. But in that moment, I just saw a tiny, tiny little hint of what suffering unjustly or what operating in a workforce where you're sometimes subject to injustice of what could be, what, what the world might see when we Christians just vaguely shadow the kind of suffering that Jesus is our model for. I don't know how you do in the workforce. I don't know what, I don't know if you ask those around you in your workplace, what is he or she like as an employee? I don't know what they'd say. Would they say, yeah, just like Jesus? Or would they go like, well, if that's like Jesus, I don't know if I want to be like Jesus. I'm asking that question not to make you feel guilty, but just to remind us that as God's people, the world does watch and remind us that we are both elect and exiles and that the reason God has us still in this world, heading towards our final home in places like the workforces, in places where we have unjust or evil bosses and, and things can be really difficult, is because it's not an accident. And here's something he wants to work out through it. And so while the band come up and we, we close out our time together singing, I want to pray for us that all of us, we might put these incredibly radical words into practice because, and remind ourselves that this gracious, 
God is pleased with this. And there's a beauty in it, even while it's difficult. So let's pray. Father God, uh, we, we just, your word is just so hard sometimes because we are often so not like Jesus, our model. We, we love to, to be saved by his unjust suffering, but we don't like to hear that he calls us to the same. But he does, you do. And so Lord, we are called to this, to walk in the steps of Jesus. And so we pray that uh, if, if we're Christian employees, that we would be salt and light in our workplace, that others would look at us and the way we are treated, especially if we're treated unfairly or unjustly, and see the way we respond and be pointed to Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen each of us to be really good workers, to be diligent in our jobs, to work as if for the Lord. And Lord, we pray um, that as Christian people, you would help us to be radically submissive to you. And as we're radically submissive to you and we are saved by your suffering and your life, the grace poured out in us, that we also might be radically submissive to those you've placed in authority over us. And we pray it for the sake of Jesus, the one whose life we seek to trace with our own. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.